I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. The show is brought to you by my company, Body Shop Performance. We create total solutions to optimize your health by focusing on sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. We work with busy professionals on a one-to-one basis for six or 12 months using the latest science and technology. And Body Shop also work with businesses who want to create a culture of energy, vitality and performance and position well-being as a competitive advantage. Find out more at bodyshopperformance.com and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to an Insights episode of the Remove the Guesswork podcast. And as always, I'm Leanne Spencer. I want to talk this week about eustress and distress, or at what point does good stress become bad stress? It's something I've touched on a lot in the interviews we've done on the podcast and some of the solo shows I've done, but I think it's an interesting point that's worth drawing out a little bit in a 10 minute or so episode. Eustress, just to give you some definitions of this, if it's a word that's new to you, eustress is a positive form of stress. So some examples of that would be exercise. If we have adequate amounts of recovery, and the type of exercise we're doing is the appropriate type and time and intensity, that's a eustress. It puts the body under a physiological stress to get a physiological adaptation. That's a good example of it. Hot exposure. So for example, exposure to the sun gives you a a hormetic, as we would say, benefit. So we synthesize vitamin D3, lots of different things going on with our hormones as well that make us feel really good when we have sun exposure. But if we were to stay out in that sun all day, we'd be burnt to a crisp and that would not be a good thing. So in that sense, it's a eustress. And the word hormesis that I used or hormetic simply means something that is beneficial in small doses. The dose is very important. The dose is, if you like, the poison. And if you were to take too much of that, it would be detrimental to your health. So that's really what hormesis is all about. Cold exposure. If you were to sit in an ice tub for a day, you would have, you'd be in all sorts of problems health-wise. So that wouldn't be a good thing for you to do. But if you go in there for five minutes, for example, you could get some really nice benefits in, term, in terms of toning the vagal nerve, in terms of muscular repair and recovery. So that is also an example of hormetic stressor, and it's also an example of eustress. There are more. I mean, things that drive us to hit deadlines, that is a sort of healthy amount of stress that enables us to basically get shit done. Childbirth can be very stressful, but also I understand it's deeply rewarding, certainly when you've got the baby afterwards and all's well. So they're all examples of you stress. And of course, distress, you're probably very familiar with. You know, we tend to think of it as a, a mental or emotional distress, being unhappy and being, being very emotional. But distress is simply the opposite of that. So if you like, moving from you stress to distress is when good stress becomes bad stress. And it's all about, again, the dose. So stress is, is hormetic. It can be beneficial to us in moderate amounts, but not good for us if it's prolonged and elevated and sustained. And when I'm delivering workshops, I like to ask somebody to volunteer to hold a glass of water. We all agree that in and of itself, the glass of water is not heavy. No problem holding that for a few minutes. So I have them stand at the front of the room with their arm outstretched, holding this glass of water. And After a few minutes, the arm will start to shake a bit. I can see they're looking uncomfortable. So I'll put them out of their misery and say, okay, how did you feel? And they'll say, well, to start with, it was easy. But as I was holding it out, 
and carrying it, it became heavier and heavier. My arm was starting to ache and feel heavy and I wanted to put that water down. And that essentially is what happens when we cling on, we hold on to our stress for too long. It's not the weight of what you're carrying, it's how long you're carrying it for. And that's the thing with stress. You need to put that load down, you need to get adequate recovery. So that's the kind of the idea of it. We're built to withstand and endure certain amounts of stress. Physiologically, we do really well coping with stress, providing we get that adequate recovery. And that's where I think people are really missing out. I think a lot of us are putting ourselves under incredible stress, but we're not getting adequate recovery. A lot of us are burning out. That was my experience in 2012. I found that I was quite a way down the burnout spectrum. And it's probably worth touching on what that spectrum is, actually. There are 12 steps to the burnout spectrum as defined by psychologists Gail North and Herbert Freudinger. And I'll read them out to you very briefly. Number one is the compulsion to prove oneself. Demonstrating worth obsessively tends to hit the best employees, those with enthusiasm who accept responsibility readily. Number two, working harder, an inability to switch off. Number three, neglecting their needs, erratic sleeping, disrupted eating and lack of social interaction. Number four, displacement of conflicts. Problems are dismissed. We may feel threatened, panicky and jittery. Five, revision of values. Values are skewed, friends and family dismissed, hobbies seen as irrelevant and work is the only focus. Number six, denial of emerging problems. An intolerance, perceiving collaborators as stupid, lazy, demanding or undisciplined. Social contacts harder. Cynicism, aggression, problems are viewed as caused by time pressure and work and not because of life changes. Number seven, withdrawal. Social life, small or non-existent, need to feel relief from stress, alcohol or drugs. Number eight, odd behavioural changes. Changes in behaviour obvious, friends and family concerned. Nine, depersonalization, Seeing neither self nor others as valuable and no longer perceive own needs. Number ten, inner emptiness. Feeling empty inside and to overcome this, look for activities such as overeating, sex, alcohol or drugs. Activities are often exaggerated. Number 11, depression, feeling lost and unsure, exhausted, future feels bleak and dark. And then number 12, burnout syndrome, can include total mental and physical collapse, time for full medical attention. So it's a huge spectrum and you may find you you relate or identify with some of those stages, hopefully earlier rather than later. Burnout at its worst or overtraining, if you like, can leave people literally with that total mental and physical collapse, a complete nervous breakdown. It's a horrendous thing. I would say my experience probably took me up to about number 10 before I literally resigned with nothing to go to, very little savings. If you like, I jumped and then checked. I had packed a parachute on the way down. But in a sense, it worked for me, but it isn't necessarily what I'd recommend. But that's how I got myself out of that that trap, if you like. So that's the burnout spectrum. I think it's helpful to to have that around and just to see where you measure up. What usually is the case is that people are overworking or overtraining. And if you don't identify necessarily with any of those stages, you may identify with some of the physical manifest- manifestations of it. And this is interesting because sometimes stress and burnout don't manifest themselves in ways you would expect. And the body is clever. I think so if you're not recognizing how I feel mentally, then I'm going to give you some very strong physical signs because I know you're more likely to pay attention to those. So some of the examples of or symptoms of overtraining or overexertion, a fatigue, a deep fatigue, a real aching in the bones type of tired. 
Unexplained aches and pains, often backache, you know, the back is innervated with nerves and it's quite often where um, mental worry, if you like, or stress will manifest itself in the neck, the upper shoulders and the spine and the back. Loss of libido, loss of appetite, mood problems, a suppressed immune system. So maybe you're getting sick a lot and you just can't get better. You can't shake off that, that illness as quickly as you used to and it's happening more frequently. Loss of performance. So you're just not performing well, whether it's the gym or whether it's your role at home or whether it's your role in your professional life. It's just not happening or happening to the same standard. All of this means whatever you are on your North and Freudinger's burnout spectrum and wherever any of those symptoms that I've just mentioned relate to you, then you definitely need to prioritize recovery. That is my resounding takeaway. And recovery is in lots of different forms. No, it's not going off to a rehab. It's not necessarily going into hospital. It's not sitting and doing nothing for days on end. But it's it's firstly, I would say, finding some way to measure how much recovery you're getting. You don't need to do it via tech, but there are a couple of bits of tech, the whoop band and the Ura ring, which I find are really good bits of tech because they measure, amongst other things, heart rate variability, HRV. And HRV is a really good indicator of nervous system recovery. So you could wear something like that to measure your HRV. But other forms of recovery that's worth paying attention to are some subjective measures. So just sitting and thinking, how do I feel? How relaxed do I feel? And then prioritizing recovery-based activities. Things like massage, active rest like walking, playing with kids, reconnecting with animals, getting out into nature, reconnecting with hobbies, things that you used to like and feel passionately about, but maybe you don't have time for. All of those things are are very recovery based. And so my main takeaway from this episode is think about what you do for recovery and then just question yourself. You know, do any of those symptoms ring true for you? Do you recognize yourself on that burnout spectrum? And if so, sit and think about how much time you're spending recovering because it's probably not enough or not as much as you're going to need. You're going to need to put more effort into that. So it takes a little bit of courage, I think, to sit down and go through that, but I'd urge you to do so. And if you want to have a chat about it or you want any help, a couple of things you can do. You can drop me an email. I'd be very happy to receive that. Alternatively, you can do our health IQ quiz. So if you jump on the website, hit take the test. It'll take you through to a three to four minute questionnaire. And at the end of that, you'll get a highly personalized report packed full of content around sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So that's the big takeaway for you. Complete the quiz, find out where you sit, and then take proactive steps to improve your health and get more recovery. That's it from me. All the best for now. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? jump on our website www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on take the test it'll take you through to a short two to three minute test and at the end of that you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals sleep mental health energy body composition digestion and fitness and if you've enjoyed this episode please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them and of course don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review thank you very much for listening